Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrads.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. So good morning. How you guys doing? Doing good? All right. Good morning. Good morning. So hopefully you guys are having a great weekend. Um, my weekend was going pretty good until last night. So last night, I got up here, and we have a service on Saturday nights, and, and I got up here to speak, and um, it was kind of, a, it was kind of a, a little bit more relaxed than it is on Sundays, not quite as uh, many kids running around and craziness, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to sit, and I'm just going to have a conversation with people, and we're going to talk through the message, and, and as I sat down, uh, this thought came to my mind, Cody, are you wearing those jeans? You know, the jeans that you were supposed to get rid of, that you forgot were kind of in the rotation of jeans. You know, the ones that have the big hole in a compromising place. <laughs> yup, yup, I am. I'm wearing those ones. Okay. Uh, so I don't know what I said during the sermon last night, because I was just trying not to flash everybody, to be honest. <sighs> I told them to burn the tapes uh, from last night's service. So <laughs> this is kind of how it's been going. So anyway, I don't know. I don't think I... I don't think I scared anybody. Oh, well, maybe I don't know what happened. Anyway, so glad that you're here this morning. If you are uh, visiting, is your first time somebody took you to church? Um, well, there we go. We already had a crude story right off the bat. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. This is the place for you. Uh, last weekend, we started a new series, and it's called Live Differently. And uh, if you weren't here for that uh, sermon, incredible. One of the best I've ever... Okay, I, I did it, but it was good. It was good. Uh, and I, you should go back and watch it because it kind of set up what we're going to be talking about throughout this series. Um, and here's kind of the basic idea is um, we live in a culture that seems to be changing pretty dramatically. And as Christians, it's not necessarily going in the direction that we would maybe want. And we're going to talk about maybe why that is. But, but the idea is, is that we are called to live differently. And so what does it look like to live within a culture um, that doesn't believe or live the way that we believe and we live? So what does it look like to live as, as faithful Christians within our culture? And so we started to talk about, and we did an overview of the generally four different approaches that Christians have taken in order to live differently within a culture. And so the first approach was what we called retreat, is they look at the world, they say it's an absolute mess, and so we're going to get out of here. And they begin to create their own either subcultures or communities communities. Next approach was resistance. Is culture is heading in a bad direction? So what we're going to do is we're going to stand up to the cultural influences and we're going to try to push back against it to preserve, preserve what is right and good and just in the world. Next one was relevant. Is we need to be work, we need to work as, as being seen as a relevant voice or view worth considering by the, the public. And so we're going to try to show, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to try to show people that we are, we are relevant. And then the last one is renew, is we're going to go find different places within culture in which we can embed ourselves. And then from within culture, we're going to renew it. And so we looked at all of those, and there's some good things and some kind of negative things about each of those views. And, and in the coming weeks, we're going to really take a deep dive into each one of those, starting with retreat. And so this weekend, we're going to be talking about when is it time to stay and when is it time to go? And this seems to be a conversation that a lot of people are having right now. Is, um, and it's not just Christians. This seems to be something that maybe is a, the result of the pandemic, where people sat around for a while and considered the different aspects and arenas of their life and went, maybe it's time for a change. Maybe it's time for me to get out of here. And so I, I saw a New York Times article 
And it was by three well-known actresses who um, they were kind of doing life together and they were raising kids and their families were uh, very intertwined and, and they were deciding if they were going to stay or go from California. You maybe have heard this conversation before. Maybe you're watching online because you didn't stay. Anyway, <laughs> they were trying to figure out what they should do. And they eventually decided, you know what? We're going to go to Texas. Not based on politics or anything like that. They're just looking for a change in lifestyle. I also reference some other business people and leaders who made that same change. Uh, there seems to be a change that people are going from cities to more either suburban or uh, uh, kind of a, just a change in atmosphere and environment. We also see a change in careers. 55% of people are thinking about changing their jobs in this last year. So what is it about this, this change? What are we looking for? There's obviously something that we're dissatisfied with. And, and, and so I see conversation. This is a conversation I had on a pretty regular basis. And, and, um, and maybe this is something you're thinking about. And there's different versions of this. But the people ask me, so Cody, um, my kid goes to this school. And we're thinking about pulling him out of there. What do you think? Should we, should we get out of there? I'm thinking about changing careers. I'm thinking about moving. I'm thinking about what do you think that we should do? And so that's what I want to wrestle with today is, well, when do we stay and when do we go and when do we fight? And what are we supposed to do in these moments? And so the first one is going to be about retreat. Should we re just retreat from culture at large? There's a recent um, book by a popular author. His name's Rod Dreher. And he wrote this book in 2017. And uh, it is said by some to be the most influential book of the last decade within this religious realm. It's like it has made a huge splash. Like, it didn't just get the attention of religious people. New York Times, New Yorker, The Atlantic, every media outlet is talking and writing about this, even if they're not religious. Because what it says is it diagnoses and critiques culture of where we're at, and then it gives a proposed solution, especially those who are people of faith. And so here's what kind of the brief overview of this book is. By the way, the book, I've referenced it before, it's called The Benedict Option. The Benedict Option, let me give you the full title. Uh, it's a, The Benedict Option, A Strategy for Christians in a Post-Christian Nation. So here's what he says. He says, as I look out at culture, it's very clear that culture is secular. It is a post-Christian culture, and it's beyond saving. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to warn you right up front. He's a little pessimistic, all right? If you're hoping for some kind of hope and light, this ain't the book for you. And so what he says is, he says, a large portion of the United States identify as Christian, but that's really in name only. When you look at their lifestyle and their beliefs, although they say they're Christian, there's no, as far as like historical Christian beliefs and living goes, there's really no relation. There's almost nothing that separates the secular from the sacred. Is they would just nominally say they believe, but they live like they don't. And when they think about how they uh, spend their money and their time, they think about sex and gender and all that, there's really nothing that separates these two groups. And so he says, because of this, Christians have lost the culture war. So everybody's fighting for a dominant view of the world. And he says, for a long time, it was a Judeo-Christian worldview where we looked at the world through the lens of scripture. And that's how we understood ourselves and the world around us. And he says, that's no longer true. Now it is a very secular worldview. And so he believes we're heading into what he calls the dark age or the new dark ages, where true historic Christian beliefs and practices are not going to just be um, ignored, but they're going to be actively resisted. Is they're going to be seen as something that is detrimental to society. 
and the cultural pressures that believers will have, especially those in the next generation, are going to be so strong that it's going to be almost impossible to withstand. So here's his conclusion. He says, we need a new strategy to preserve our own faith and to pass it on to the next generation. And this is where the Benedict option comes in. He says, in order to prepare for the future, we have to look at the past, specifically at this person named St. Benedict. And if you don't know who this is, uh, he lived in the, I think it was the fifth and, it was the fourth, middle of fourth and fifth centuries. And uh, he came from a wealthy family. He was sent to Rome to study. He was a Christian. And when he got there, he realized this looks a lot like Las Vegas. He didn't say that part, but like, that's how I interpret it. And so he goes in there and he just says, it's all parties and promiscuity. I don't want anything to do with this. In fact, if I stay here, I'm going to get sucked into this lifestyle. I'm going to lose my faith. And so I am out of here. So he retreats out of Rome and he goes, and I think this might be a little extreme. He hides in a cave for three years. And as he's there, he's praying and he's fasting and he's talking to God. What do you want me to do? And after three years, he realizes God wants me to bring, uh, to, to build these monasteries. And through his lifetime, he builds 12 of them where people can retreat and take refuge from this this culture. And by the way, if you don't know uh, history, the Roman Empire was in its decline. It It was falling at this point. And some historians would say it was falling because of the moral decay that was taking place. And so he begins building these monasteries and pulling away from retreating from culture. Now here's the weird twist. Is a lot of historians would say And that is what saved Western civilization. Is because these people pulled out of this moral decaying culture and they preserved their faith and they lived it out in a real way. When the Roman Empire eventually fell and there was infighting and people were trying to just take whatever pieces were left of it. It was the Benedictine monks that stepped back in and began to rebuild the culture that was broken. And they were were building it on a Christian foundation. And so the, even uh, in 2008, the, the Pope, he says that it was the, that it was St. Benedict and his order that ended up saving the Western world. And so Rod Dreher says, this is what we need to be prepared for, is when we look out into the world and we see that it is headed towards complete moral decay, we need to retreat and we need to prepare for a day in which after culture has kind of fallen apart, we can step back in and we can help. He calls this a strategic retreat. He says what we need to, instead of spending our time trying to impact a culture that is destined for hell, oh, I told you, pessimistic, okay? We'll get to the good part in a minute, all right? But I'm just telling you, this is, okay. He says, we got to stop wasting our time on a ship that is sinking and start shoring up our own faith. And so, here's what he says. We need to focus on creating a countercultural community, a Christian ecosystem where we retreat from culture and into community. It says our focus needs to be on building strong families and churches and schools where we can find refuge and build our faith and pass it on to the next generation. And so he starts giving some practical examples of this. He says, well, take schools, for example. He says, it's crazy for you. Again, him, not me. I don't want your letters. He says it's crazy to send your kids to public school because these kids are going to be exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to. And so he says, you got to pull them out. You either got to homeschool them or send them to classic Christian academies and prepare them to go off to a conservative Christian university. 
And I can already hear in your mind, you're going, whoa, 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 Cody, hold on. We're supposed to be salt and light. I'm with you. And he goes, you're right. But in order to be salt and light, you actually have to know what you're doing. You actually have to be built up. In order to pass something on, you have to have it first. And he says, kids, they're not ready. And here's the analogy he gives. He says, to send your kids into a public school to be a salt and light is like sending, or it's like throwing your child into a white water river in order to save a drowning kid. They're both going to drown in the end. Oh, okay. He says, you cannot share what you do not have. He believes the same thing about politics. He says, politics are going to end where they're going to end. It's all going to happen. It's all set. So yeah, you might try to slow it down, but what you're really going to do is you're trying to avoid the inevitable. And along the way, you're just making people more hostile and angry at Christians. So just get out of the political realm altogether. And when it comes to entertainment, oh, don't even get me started. The fact that you have a television, throw it out the window. That iPhone should be a flip phone. Netflix, unsubscribe. He says, we just got to, we got to retreat from all of these because these are all shaping and influencing us and our children. And so we need to get back to more holistic activities or wholesome activities, something like playing games and gardening. I'm not interested in the gardening. I got to be honest. I'll take more naps though. I'm okay with that. His conclusion is we have to live differently as Christians within this culture. And the way that we do it is through retreat. Now, let me give you a couple of things that I think he gets right here. First thing I think he gets right is I do think that he, he diagnoses the cultural problem correctly. Now, he might be alarmist, he might be a pessimist, but I do think he's on to something there. Is when we look at culture, I do think we live in a post-Christian culture, especially here on the, on the West Coast, right side of LA, Orange County. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the world that you and I live in. And here's how I know this to be true, is think how quickly Moral issues have changed in just the last 15 or 20 years. Now, you may think that that's a good change, and you might be a progressive person and going, yes, I'm glad that these things have changed, but we can't deny that they're changing. So let me give you an example. Um, Imagine somebody who stood up in front of a group of people in public and said, I believe that marriage is only between a man and a woman. Now, as 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 a pastor, I could probably get away with that. You may not find that super surprising. You may maybe disagree with me, but you go, nah, I kind of expected him. Now, imagine a public school teacher, a CEO, a business person got up in front of their, their people and said, I believe, what do you think would happen to them? You're out of here. Not only are you fired, you're never getting hired again. But that's weird, right? Because you may disagree with that view, but just in 2008... It didn't, didn't matter what side of the political aisle you were on. That was the platform that everybody had. Was we think that this is what marriage is supposed to be. But here we are. Fast forward just a little bit. And if you hold those same views, you're not, we don't, people don't just disagree with you. They demonize you. And so, again, you may think that this is good progress that we're making. We're headed in the right direction. But there is no doubt that culture is changing, and it's changing quickly. And it's not heading in what we would say is a historically Christian direction. It's in a much more secular direction. He also, I think, diagnoses Christianity correctly. He says, we have been too cozy and comfortable within culture. That we have allowed culture to infiltrate the church 
So uh, this last week, I had the privilege and honor of going back to Disneyland after being gone for so long. <laughs> if you're new here, I have this, this feeling about being at Disneyland. It's not the same feeling that my wife and children have. You could call it a love and hate relationship with Disneyland. Anyway, so we, we got to go back to Disneyland. I was so happy. It was like 90 degrees outside. So that just, <laughs> woo, yeah, this is great, you guys. I wore some shoes that didn't fit. This is good things were happening. Good things were happening. And I've learned over all these years of marriage, when my, li- when my wife really loves something and I'm not excited, best bet, stay silent. So I was mute. Plus, it was a Monday. I just spoke, and I'm like, you don't want to hear what I have to say. I'm just going to, this will not be the happiest place on earth if I start talking, so I'm going to keep it there. And so, uh, so we're with some friends, and, and we're, you know, we're going around the park and all that kind of good stuff. And, and um, my wife said, well, you know, there's a new thing called, uh, was it Avengers Land or something like that, right? Where you got all the Avengers characters and, and there's a new ride that we can go on. And since you're, this is like your first time back, we're going to let you go on it. I said, oh, well, fantastic. I can't wait. So we get this pass because you have to sign up to even get in line for it, which I think is insane. And, and so I get in line with my friend and uh, my, my son and his son. And uh, luckily, about 75% of it, uh, the line was not shaded. So I got to make sure I got my suntan on. <laughs> yeah. And so we're waiting. And um, I, I think, you know what? The line's not that long. This is perfect. You know, like, fine. We'll just go there. It'll be great. Whatever. And so we get to where I think we're about to head inside air conditioning. And they tricked us. Because you get up to this place and you realize, oh, the line's not going left inside. It's going right. And there's a hidden line back behind this wall. There's a 45-minute wait back there. And so, I'm, you know, we're stuck at this point. I'm just, all right, whatever, dude. And so we're an hour into waiting. I am, I am close to the Lord in these moments <laughs> right now. Just praying, Lord, help me not lose it right now in front of the kids, in front of all these people. I'm sure there's somebody from Seacoast who's going to watch this. Like, all right, here we go. And eventually the line stops moving. So much so that everybody in line is sitting down at this point. (laughs) Okay, okay, Lord, I see what you're doing here. All right, I'm not talking about patience this next weekend. You don't have to test me like this right now. And then they come on the loudspeaker and go, we're sorry, but we're going to have to cancel the ride. We're having some technical difficulties if you want to come back later. I'm like, I am not coming back ever. No, I'm not coming back later. This is it. I'm done. And so we had to get off of there. And um, when my wife saw me after that moment, she just knew, don't even make eye contact with me. Don't say a word. You can't fix this. It's just like, let's move it along here, people. Let's just get this over with. Actually, it's not true now that I think about it. You know what she made me do? My second favorite thing, which is take a picture in front of the Disneyland thing, which is, oh, oh, goodness. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to tell you guys that story. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just wanted you to sympathize with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny watching all these, uh, all these people get super excited about the, the Avengers stuff. I know nothing. I haven't seen any of the movies. I don't know anything about it. But here, here's what's interesting. Is there is like a religious like commitment to these like, like movies and characters. And everybody has their shirts on. And they're just celebrating. And here's what I've realized. Is people know more about Avengers, even Christians, than they do about the Bible. All right, this is where it gets ugly. Okay. 
Let me give you a quick quiz. You can say it in your head. You don't have to tell me. I don't want to embarrass you. I did give Doyle this quiz early. I'll tell you how he did. I'm going to give you a line. And in your mind, you have to decide, is this from the Bible or an Avengers movie? Okay? Yeah. Here we go. All right. First one. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Let's just see. Let's just see. Let's just do this together. If you think that this is uh, in the Bible, thumbs up. If you think it's in Avengers, thumbs down. What do you got? What do you think? In the Bible, some of you guys are going to play the game. I get it. We're going to just assume you would get it wrong anyway then. All right? That is in the Bible. (laughs) See, it tricked you because it said Avengers in there. And you're like, "Ah, no, that's not. That's a tricky one. All right, how about this one? With great power comes great responsibility. In the Bible or Avengers? Bible or Avengers? Some of you guys are going like this. This this is not an answer. (laughs) This isn't an answer. All right. uh, That one is in Superman. Yeah, Superman. Okay. All right, how about this? Uh, We will work together to be an example of how we, as brothers and sisters on this earth, should treat one another. Bible, Avengers. Bible, Avengers. Black Panther. That was Black Panther. Yeah. (laughs) I know, right? Trick, yeah. Okay, I'll do one more. I'll do one more. Um, Sometime, no, I don't like that one. Uh, okay, here's this one. In times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. What do you think? Is that in the Bible or is that in Avengers? Bible, Avengers. That is a proverb from Black Panther. <laughs> yeah! Gotcha! <laughs> you guys, I have four more pages of notes and I have not gone over any of them yet. I have to get something done up here besides these quizzes. Okay. So here's the point. (laughs) Here's the point. Uh, We're pretty, we, we, we understand popular culture pretty well, most of us. The problem is we don't understand scriptures all that well. And if we're not being formed by the scriptures, then we're being formed by something else. And it's probably popular culture. And so, and so it just shows, and it, there's stats about this, 70% of people uh, in America claim to be Christians, but only 6% have a Christian worldview, meaning they see the world through the, the lens of scripture. And so we are being shaped by something or someone. The question is, what is it? And for most of it, most of us, it's just culture is shaping us. It's shaping how we view all the different arenas of our life. And so here's the, here's, I think, what he gets right in this book. And, and I think there are, there are, Reasons and seasons for us to retreat. First one is obvious. We need to retreat to run away. We got to get away from maybe it's sin, maybe it's temptation, maybe it's something unbiblical, there's some kind of coercion. We got to get away from those things. That's obvious. But I also think that there's times to retreat, like there's times to retreat to renew our mind and body and soul. So Rick Warren, a well-known pastor, he says that we are supposed to retreat in order to avoid burnout. And we should do this uh, daily, weekly, and annually. That we need to do something that fills us up spiritually and emotionally and relationally. We're also supposed to retreat in order to reconnect with people. So um, you may do this. We do this is we try to do at least one family vacation a year. In which we just unplug, we retreat out of the church, out of culture, out of everything. We just kind of go and we just spend time together. Because we need that to be able to reconnect uh, relationally. And then we need to retreat to regroup and ready ourselves for what's ahead. Jesus, when he begins his ministry, he spends the first 40 days retreating. 
And when we see Paul after his conversion, he spends the first three years in retreat, preparing for the ministry, learning what he needs to learn. But here's the problem. And I think this is probably the the most obvious problem with this view of retreat is is retreat cannot be our primary posture towards the world. See, when we want retreat to be just how we live our lifestyle, this is when I think we have some problems because there's reasons and there's seasons to retreat. But I don't think that we can have our primary posture be retreat. Let me give you two reasons really quick. First one is this. Is you and your family and other loved ones need to be in the world in order to build your faith up. So think about this. Is um, maybe, maybe, you know, probably most of us, majority of us have either uh, raised kids or are raising kids. Or at least we know kids. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. You get the idea. One of the things that is kind of counterintuitive that we have to do as we're raising kids is we have to expose them to germs in order to build up immunity. Now, I don't like germs, okay? I'm like all about, yeah, let's fist pump, man. That's awesome. Less germs. You know, like that's great. My wife, on the other hand, not afraid of germs. And so when we started parenting, when my kid would drop their binky on the ground, I'd be like, oh, that one's going to be sanitized. I'll boil that thing when we get home. And she'll be like, oh, just... Right it in there. And I'm like, uh, all right. That's one way of doing things, I guess. And, and here's what I think she understands that uh, maybe I didn't, was if they're too isolated from any kind of contamination, then they will build up no immunity. And eventually they're going to run into some kind of germs, sickness, whatever. And it's going to really impact them if they haven't built up any immunity to it. But the other thing is that we, have to, can't, we can't allow our kids to be too exposed because we don't want them to get sick or, or something worse. And so there's got to be this balance between them being exposed in order to build up immunity and yet not get fully infected so that they have some kind of disease, right? So where's that balance of exposure to the, the and immunity and, and infection? And, and how do we figure that out? Like, where is that balance and so uh, when I was a youth pastor for many years, one of the things that didn't make any sense to me, and I used to see this, is parents who would shelter their kids for the first 18 years of their life. Like, we are, we are out here. We are not going to allow any kind of outside influence into my child's world. And then they would turn 18, and they would send them off to a public university. And I would just go, how did you think this was going to work out? Like, so you, you kept them sheltered their entire life where they built up no immunity to culture. And then you put them in the public restroom of culture and said, good luck, kid. Hope you survive. That seems like a horrible idea to me. See, one of the things I, I appreciate about my upbringing was that my parents, they understood that their job as they raised me until I became an adult and were out on my own is to help me build up an immunity to the pull of culture is they said, okay, we're not going to just isolate him, although there's a part of that. And we're not going to just allow him to be fully exposed to all these things. What we're going to do is we're going to slowly help him build up an immunity to the things of culture. And so they would allow me to see certain things. Hey, Cody, by the way, here's what's going on where they'd send me to school. They'd send me to the, our church was kind of a wild west at that point. We had people were coming in off the streets. And so it's like, hey, Cody, you see this lifestyle? You see where it ends up? Now, what do you think about it? And what they would do is they would expose me to enough of what was happening in the culture and to where I could see, here's what the end result is going to look like, and here's why I don't want to go that way. And I watched them live differently. My parents married. A lot of my friends' parents weren't married. That's different. 
the way that they spent their money, the way that they, they thought of their time, the way that they thought of their gifts and abilities. All of those things were different the way that my parents lived versus everybody else's. And so when it was time for me to go out on my own and they weren't there to help kind of keep me uh, protected from the things I needed to and cultural pull was really strong, I had already built up an immunity. It wasn't like I was going out there the first time going, oh my goodness, now there's this thing called sex out there? What do I think about that? <laughs> you know? My. <laughs> That's dumb. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be a two-parter, I think, because look at this. This is a, okay. Um, and, and so I, I think that in order to build our own faith, we have to be in the culture. But there is this balance. Here's the other thing. And I'm going to talk about this in the future weeks, so I won't spend too much time. But the world needs us to be in it. Right? The world needs us to be out there preserving what is good. You know where human rights come from? God. You know how we discovered that? The Judeo-Christian worldview. All the things that we value the most in the world, they will begin to disappear unless we preserve them. Because the foundation is built on Christ. People need to see what marriage is supposed to look like. They, they need to see what relationships are supposed to look like. How to raise kids. They need to see this in us. And of course, they need to hear the gospel message. And so... We need to be in the world for our own faith, and the world needs us to be in it in order to uh, gain faith. And so, uh, what do we do, or, or when do we know when it's time to retreat and when it's time to remain? Because there are times for retreat, but there's also times that we're supposed to remain. How, how, do, we, how do we figure out what, what time is to do what? So let me look at, uh, real quick, a piece of uh, scripture, and it's on the last night of Jesus' um, ministry here on earth. And it's right before he's going to be betrayed, but he knows that it's coming. So he knows that like his time is winding down, that it's limited. And so here's what he does. And it's a little counterintuitive. Is Jesus, in these last moments, instead of him going out and preaching his best message, instead of healing people, instead of making this big show, no, he doesn't do any of those things. In fact, what he does is counterintuitive because he pulls back from the public eye and he retreats with his disciples. They go and they have this Passover meal together. And as they're having this meal together, he describes what's going to be coming and, and what this means. And they don't really understand it at the time. And, and so at the end of the meal, he continues his retreat. This time he goes from this secluded room with the disciples to this garden called Gethsemane. And in this garden, he begins to retreat even further. This time, instead of from the public life, from his disciples, here's what happens. Matthew 26, 36 says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And so he is in like full retreat mode right now on the last night of his life. Retreats from the public. Now he retreats from the disciples. He's kind of hidden both physically and it seems like relationally as he is pulling back because he knows what is about to come. But here's what's weird. Here's what he prays and why in this moment, instead of him continuing to retreat, he does something different. Here's what he says. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. So in this moment of total retreat, he says, Father, if there is any way that I can get out of this, like I'm, my back is up against the wall. I have retreated. I am alone. I am out here in the wilderness. 
can you get me out of this? Because everything in me right now says, retreat. I know the pain and the suffering that I am going to encounter. It's coming. It's right around the corner. Will you allow me to just continue to pull back? I have the opportunity. From everybody's perspective, they know what is coming, and it makes sense. On paper, get out of there. Your life is in danger. This is going to get ugly quick. And yet in the moment in which he wanted to retreat, he could have retreated. He probably should have, from our perspective, retreated. He stops retreating, and he remains. Why would he do that? He says at the end of his prayer, he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Lord, everything in me in this moment wants to retreat. I want to get out of here. I want to get out of this environment. I want to get out of this relationship. I want to get out of this mess. Everything says get out. And yet I won't unless it's your will. What do you want me to do in this moment? After this Jesus is arrested um, after Judas betrays him. One of his disciples grabs a sword and begins to resist. He wants to fight back. Okay, you know what? If you're not going to retreat, let's at least fight. And Jesus says, no, 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 put that away. Uh Uh-uh. That's not the response that we're supposed to have right now. What I'm supposed to do is remain. And he explains why in verse 54. He says, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? See, what he's saying is, if I retreated or if I resisted, you and I, we would miss it. We would miss the call that God has on my life. See, from the very beginning, God has been unfolding this plan throughout human history. And this is his plan for my life, is to come and to be a sacrifice so that there could be salvation for, the peop- for people who, who want a relationship with me. But the reason why I don't go and do what I want to do And the reason why I think we should pause and ask what we're supposed to do is because each one of us, we have a calling on our life. It says that God has created a work for us to do even before we were born, that he has something that he wants us to fulfill. And what happens is when we go by what we want to do, what we think is right, what our friends tell us to do, and we end up retreating when we should have remained, or we end up remaining when we should have resisted, we end up missing it. And so he says... I have to remain, not because it's easy, not because it's fun, but because it's what I've been called to do. From the disciples' perspective, this made absolutely no sense. Everything was telling them to either resist or to retreat. But what they didn't understand was what was hanging in the balance. They couldn't see what God was up to. They didn't know what God was going to do through this situation. And so, I think that's also true for us. And when people come up to me and they say, hey, I'm really wrestling with this decision. And if it's not like a clear biblical, okay, this is what the Bible says to do, but it's something where we just, we kind of have to wrestle with. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay in California or move? Should I pull my kids out of the school? Should I end this relationship? Should I change careers? My question is not, well, what do you think you should do? What's going to make you happy? What's going to bring more fulfillment to your life? What does your family and friends think? Those might be valid questions, but that's not the first question. The first question is always, have you asked God what he wants you to do? Have you asked him? In the moments in which you want to retreat, have you asked God, is that the right thing for me to do right now? Not, does it make sense? Because it probably won't make sense. In fact, that's kind of the, the excitement of faith is walking along going, I don't know what we're doing here, God. This is kind of crazy. I wouldn't do this, but I'm trusting you right now. And as 
God speaks to you. And, and by the way, if, he, if you don't have a clear-cut answer, just keep doing the last thing God told you to do. All right, I'm not going to move until you tell me to move. But then when he says move, what you begin to do is you begin to take some steps in the direction you think that he's telling you to do. And you go, okay, God, open and close the right doors. Because here's the way that I like to do things. God, you want me to go where? Cool, I'm smashing doors down. Let's roll. You know, I'm going through it. And he's like, no, 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 hold on. <laughs> Let's make sure this is where you want me to go. And as I walk and as you open up doors, it'll become more clear. Oh, okay, this is where you want me. Okay, then let's go. And so the question is not, what do I want? The question is, what does God want for me? Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we have all these different places in our life in which um, we're trying to navigate. We're trying to figure out where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Sometimes the answer is clear. You've written it in the scriptures and, and we know what we should do. But other times we've got to wrestle with this, Lord God. And we've got to figure out, well, how exactly do you want me to, to parent these children? And what does it look like to remain in this relationship? And, and how exactly do I wrestle with my calling and what that looks like? And, and so, Lord God, I think the reason why you don't give us this full plan, you don't give us an outline of our life is so that we will walk with you and trust you every step of the way. And so, Lord God, where, wherever we're at in this journey, whatever decisions that we're trying to make, my prayer is that all of us would come to you first and ask, what is it that you want for me? Because it's not my will, but your will be done. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys stand with me. Thank you guys for being here. There's tons of stuff happening out on the patio for the kids and everybody else. Go out there, have a great afternoon, and we will see you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.